Did you know that only 12% of child sexual abuse is ever reported to the authorities and fewer than four in 10 rapes are reported to the police? Additionally, one in four girls and one in six boys will be sexually abused before they turn 18. These profound numbers include people in our local churches. I'm Sharon Betters, the host of this Help and Hope resource, and with me today is Ellen Dykus. Ellen is the Women's Ministry Director at Harvest USA and has many years experience of discipling women who need help overcoming personal struggles with sexual sin. She's learned over the years that so many of these women have also been sinned against sexually and sometimes in the church. Ellen is passionate that the church wake up to the multi-layered reality of how sin impacts our sexuality and how Christ can bring true hope and transformation. Ellen, welcome. Thank you, Sharon. Ellen, before we jump into our topic, could you tell us a little bit about Harvest USA and also about some of the things that you're doing today in your life? First, we we do appreciate being able to partner with, with ministries like you guys, just people that want to really keep a focus on the gospel of Jesus. And so at Harvest, you know, our context for ministry is providing a biblical Jesus-centered discipleship to women, men, couples, families that have been impacted by sexual sin. And then we do a lot of church education through resources. And so that's important as we jump into this topic, because my context for learning about sexual abuse has been really through the women that are coming to us with their own struggles with sexual sin. But as you mentioned those statistics, many women that are coming to us, like I would say our, our statistics here are probably 80%, eight out of 10 of the women that come to us because of their own wrestlings with sexual sin of whatever type, they themselves have experienced being sinned against sexually. So I want that to be kind of out there as my context for even understanding this topic, which as you've already mentioned is very important and very crucial. And so, you know, what I'm up to day in and day out in my ministry here is coming alongside my coworkers, women that I'm training up to do this ministry and discipleship, not only to women that are wrestling, but to wives that are in marriages impacted by sexual infidelity. And then I do get the, have the blessing of doing a lot of teaching among God's people on a, a wide variety of topics, obviously with the concentration on issues of sexuality and relationships. And Ellen, we're going to include uh, on our website a connection to Harvest USA and how people who are hurting can contact you and find the help and hope that comes through knowing Jesus. So we're talking about sexual abuse. How would you define sexual abuse? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm actually going to read the definition that I use when I teach on this topic, just because I think this is important that where every word really counts. So sexual abuse consists of any sexual activity verbal, visual, physical, that is engaged in without consent. So abuse against an individual, whether if they're younger or older, abuse occurs when someone more powerful or older sexually exploits another for the satisfaction of the abuser's desires. Now, we, we could tease that out, but I think that kind of encompasses the main things that I would want to, for it to be known. 
And in today's culture, we are hearing more and more about sexual abuse and in the churches. And that's not specifically what we wanted to talk about is how it happens in the churches, but it has, unfortunately, that's the truth. And Mm -hmm. uh, so when we look at the statistics, we have to know that many who are sitting in our congregations are part of those statistics. We have sexually abused victims and survivors in our congregations. And yet it seems like we're just now starting to hear about this and kind of being forced to acknowledge it. Why do you think that is? There's probably lots of reasons. And I, and I do want to mention, you know, as you mentioned, people will be able to look at our website. I wrote an article on this very topic called A Sexually Faithful Church Protects the Vulnerable. And, you know, when I did my own little bit of research, Sharon, about especially when there were adults or other leaders in a church that suspected something. I'm not even talking about where they knew abuse was going on. Um, But both of those is a key ingredient of why people don't step in is fear. Uh, Fear of the consequences, fear of retaliation, fear of, I mean, so many other things that we know are sinful. We know are actually so tragic when a vulnerable, especially child, and it could also be adults that are in vulnerable situations. But I think fear is a primary reason that it's been kind of kept underneath the surface. Uh, why don't, you know, we, we'll probably talk about this. Why don't victims come forward? Well, again, there's shame connected to this. Perhaps they've been threatened to stay, stay silent. But, you know, over all of this, I just want to say, why is it happening? Sin and the brokenness of this world. The reality is that people of faith also are continuing to struggle as sinners, continuing to struggle with fear and shame. And so it is very tragic. I mean, it's, I would say it's horrific that this is happening in the church, but all the things that we would know about the devastation of sin and how that impacts people, that relates to our topic today, that professing believers are engaged in sinful activities and one of the horrible rotten fruits we could we could say that bears out of that is sexual abuse within the very confines of our of our church families we have a couple of other resources on our website at marking.org stories from those who have been sexually abused and in my own limited conversations compared to what your experience is, what has struck me is how fear, as you mentioned, seems to be the overriding reason why someone who is abused does not speak up. It could be because it's a family friend, it's an uncle, it's a cousin, and who's going to believe me? Nobody's going to believe me. Uh, It seems to be that the overriding cry. What do you see as some of the main effects of sexual abuse that are long-term? Well, you know, I want to mention that my kind of go-to resource is called On the Threshold of Hope, written by a very experienced biblical counselor therapist, Diane Langberg. And so I really draw from her decades of wisdom in answering this question, Sharon. So I would mention there there's several. I would, I'll just kind of put it into these categories. First would be a person's heart or their spirit, you know, biblically speaking, that, um, you know, the Bible speaks about a broken and crushed spirit. And really any abuse, um, but sexual abuse can have a unique impact of just crushing a person's spirit. And I'll add, especially when it's done in the context of a faith-based relationship, a Christian leader, a mentoring relationship, a Christian parent. 
Uh, it also impacts, this might be the obvious, but we need to remember it impacts a person's body. Uh, there can be the physical violations of it, the physical trauma, but also what we need to understand is sexual abuse teaches a person that their body is unsafe because that's the means through which physical sexual abuse happens. And so where do you go to escape from that? It impacts, it impacts a person's beliefs. Uh, how do you reconcile what we hear of a good, loving, strong, protective, heavenly father, and even perhaps crying out for help to him, and yet abuse happens. And sadly, as you've probably learned in your own research, Sharon, oftentimes, and I've heard just devastating stories, oftentimes a very twisted, distorted view of God is even used in the context of some of these, these kinds of sexual abuse situations. The other thing I would mention that is impacted I'll mention two more things. One more specific one brought is a sense of voice. And I've really learned from Diane Langberg about this is sexual abuse almost always teaches a person that they have no voice, especially when it's been in childhood victimization or in the context of a very powerful person coercing, manipulating, abusing another with threats is it teaches that person that their voice has no power. It has no impact. And then the last thing I would say, and this is really kind of a coverall in some senses, weaving in all those four areas I just mentioned, is that it will impact a person's beliefs, relational patterns, the way they view life. I mean, all of that is woven together with a sense of shame, a sense of that person feeling themselves disgusting, dirty, polluted, that they themselves are the sin that has been done against them. It, it's horrific. And, and I want to close up all that by just, by just saying this, is that as awful as all that is, it is not beyond the reach of Jesus Christ as heart healer, life transformer, and the one that redeems even the most broken experiences that we've had. I, I appreciate you saying that because when I've listened to some of the stories, I mean, they're just so heartbreaking. I can't even think of the words. And I've often thought, how is this person ever going to find comfort in God as her father or in her faith, all of those things. And so to, and I, I have seen restoration and I have seen people who have found that God brings beauty from the ashes, even in this most horrible of afflictions. You know, in the church, I think we get a kind of a bad rap, but maybe it's truthful. You know, there's purity and there's, it's all fluff and we're all washed whiter than snow. Our sins are gone away and all of that. And so someone who is like you just described comes into the church and finds a special relationship, friendship, and starts to test the waters. Mm. Am I going to be safe if I tell my story? But if you're in a place where you've never heard this or you've refused to hear it because it's so awful and you don't want to think about it, how do we overcome that barrier of fear and maybe disgust and, you know, all of those things because we don't want these pictures in our mind. And yet because of Jesus, we know we must open up the doors for communication. How do we do that? Yeah, well, you know, I write about this in the article that I wrote for, for Harvest USA that, again, is available online on our website, is 
you know, you, you, really, you've led it, you've led into the very first aspect of this, Sharon, and that is to acknowledge that this is real. You know, there's a newer ministry called Grace, which stands for Godly Response to Abuse in a Christian Environment. Uh, that is excellent, that is really speaking into this. Uh, you can find them. I think it's uh, netgrace.com or just Google that online. But the first thing is just to acknowledge that this is really real. And as you mentioned, we've had all these stories now that are coming out in secular context, but also really disturbingly all these scandals that are now coming out more and more among God's people where they, there were cover-ups, where there was a, a turning away, where there was a a lack of a willingness to really engage this. So we as God's people, and especially those of us that are in any kind of a influential, uh, authoritative uh, leadership role, we need to acknowledge that this is real and then begin to disciple our people about it, not only so that we can be trained in helping, but so that the very ones, the girls, the boys, the men and women that are in our congregations who have been or are in situations of abuse will have the courage to come forward. But first step is to acknowledge that, yes, that this is happening among God's people. It's a gospel issue, that sin really is that bad, and that Christ is calling us to go into these areas as well with his hope, with his healing, as you so beautifully proclaim through through your ministry. What do you think is one of the most important things to do or say if a friend starts sharing a story about sexual abuse, like a a one-on-one private conversation, what is the best way to communicate you're safe with me? Number one is listen. Don't jump in with uh, advice. Don't jump in with um, investigative questions first off the bat. Don't jump into fix-it mode. Just listen to this person's story. So a person might say, well, okay, well, what if that person doesn't know what to say? A person might wonder, well, okay, what do I say? What do I ask to help them share what I need to listen to? Well, you might just say, are you ready to talk about this? Or would you want to come back to this later? That might be your starting point. If they are willing, then you just gently say, well, share with me what you feel able to share right now about what happened or, or, and or what is happening right now. Because as a helper, we do want to be able to step in to help. We do want to have wisdom in asking questions. But first of all, we need to just get a bottom line sense of what is this person's experience? So really, Sharon, that is the very first thing is to listen. And then that's going to guide you in what might be the next steps. And the next steps are going to be a multitude of possibilities de- depending on what their situation is. You mentioned a friend, so I'm assuming we're talking about an adult conversation. I had a conversation like this just recently with a woman who serves in a Christian environment, and she's come to the realization after really a long period of being in a sexually harassing relationship with her superior. So, she began to share that with me. And in the context of that, I, I listened, I, I empathized, I tried to just offer compassion. But then as our story, as her story went along, I realized, okay, she, she's got on the ground people that she actually has already begun to bring into this. She's actually already pursued 
interacting with a counselor and she's already seeking counsel herself on what might confrontation look like with this person. So really I, I'm a little bit hesitant to offer too many like one, two, three, four steps, but I will say this, listen, determine what's the next step of help that this person needs. If it's physical safety, then as a helper, you need to think about who's a safe person in your life that you might be able to bring in to help you help this person. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm really sad to say this, but that's not always a person in spiritual leadership or authority. Mm-hmm. You, you need to vet people and what have you experienced of them and how they've even responded to traumatic situations. So first off, listen, what's this person experiencing? What have they experienced? And then move into the next steps of help. I think one of the really difficult things that a sexual abuse victim hears or senses is if the sexual abuse went into their teen years or, and there's one particular interview we have where it was until he was 18 years old, he was being abused. Immediately the question comes, why didn't you say something? Why didn't you do something? You were old enough to stand up to this person. How do we avoid going there? You know, how do, how do you handle that in your own heart? Not to ask that kind of a question or to make it as though it's your fault mm, that you continued. Yeah. That's an excellent, an excellent question, Sharon. So let me go back to what I shared about how one of the impacts of sexual abuse is that it silences people and it gives a victim or a sexual abuse survivor the sense that they have no voice So that woman I just mentioned a few minutes ago, this is a godly, spiritually mature ministry leader herself. And I don't know how long things were going on before she stepped out to tell someone, but you're in this environment where this kind of stuff isn't supposed to happen. She's working in a a Christian environment with a well-respected leader. Her, her own sense of discombobulation of what is this really happening? Am I making a big deal of this? And thankfully, she's in a good case scenario with a husband and others that validated immediately this is absolutely not okay. But let's think about like the person you mentioned, uh, somebody who has ex- experienced abuse as a child or as a teen. Again, we've got to understand the impact that sexual abuse has to silence people the shame of it all. And when it's a child with an older relative, with a parent, with an aunt or uncle, with a spiritual ministry leader, I've had abuse victims tell me that their abuser did this in the name of God. And so you're a child. Like, How do you speak out against a, a parent who is saying that this is their right as a parent? You're a child going into your teen years. How do you speak out against this Christian leader that everybody respects? And I'll I'll close my answer to this with a story of a woman who is just that situation. Her abuser was a woman that she was matched up with in a mentoring relationship, a very broken woman herself who began to seduce and molest this teen girl. Well, her parents really respected this woman. The church leaders respected this woman. And all of this, like the the gateway for this abuse, uh, the sexual abuse to happen was in the context of their mentoring relationship. 
So the confusion of that and the, what I want to add to that is, especially when this is a younger person, although it could be an adult as well, when this person is also giving you attention, affirmation, saying they love you, there, there can be aspects of that relationship that actually do feel comforting and affirming. And that's right alongside this abuse. And all that just becomes woven together in a very uh, toxic, confusing dynamic. So that's what leads to people just staying silent and remaining in these relationships. And so one of the worst things we can say to an abuse survivor is anything that is going to lean them in the direction that this was their fault. It's never their fault. It's never someone's fault for being sinned against. I, I really like that statement. It's never someone's fault for being sinned against. And we have an interview with a woman who was sex trafficked, started out a mother's boyfriend. And the reason, and she was, it happened up until she was a young adult. And she said one time when she refused to be part of a deal that he had made with somebody else, he had just shot a pig. And he said, if you don't do what I tell you to do, that's what's going to happen to you. And another young man who his scoutmaster was abusing him, he showed him a gun and he, mm-hmm. he threatened him. If mm-hmm. you tell, then this, I'm going to use this against you. And I, I think this is so far removed from what a lot of people live with that it's hard to even imagine that this could have the impact on a child, you know, that a child is terrified yeah. Um, a young adult is terrified um, because of the manipulation and, mm. and all of that that happens. Mm. So, Ellen, what can we as a church do? What would you suggest? I mean, even some practical things for local churches so that they gain a reputation for mm-hmm. being a safe place for broken people, for the survivors, for the victims of sexual abuse. I mentioned the first thing a little while ago, and that is to acknowledge that this is real. And I appreciate what you said, Sharon, that this can feel so far removed from a lot of us. Um, I, I have not experienced sexual abuse. So when I started hearing story after story, like I needed to go through my own season of just grappling with the evil that is being done. So I think we just need to acknowledge that this is real. Again, I'm going to kind of point this to to especially those of us who are in any kind of a leadership or role of influences, we need to learn and do some reading. Like I've mentioned this book by Diane Langberg. Like I've read that and walked through that with women to minister, but also to, to learn myself and to be taught myself about what this is really like. So acknowledging, being willing to address it in a public setting. So pastors, are, are you bringing in sermon illustrations that actually include abuse so that abuse survivors in your congregation get the sense of, okay, my pastor is willing to talk about this. Churches might also consider, and again, this requires some training with people that have spiritual and ministry maturity, but I would love to see churches starting to offer confidential support groups, like healing discipleship groups for sexual abuse survivors. There are skilled counselors and resources around that we can draw from to help train us to be able to have that kind of a dynamic in our church. But then I want to say too, again, this seems so obvious, and I don't say this is just a spiritualized answer, but we need to lean into Jesus. This isn't something for us to say, hey, I just heard those statistics that Sharon said, like, I'm going to come in and save the day. 
Mm -hmm. I'm going to bring those statistics down so that there aren't as many people. This is not a kind of ministry that we do, A, in our own power and wisdom, or B, because we want to be some sort of a mini Messiah. We need to lean into Jesus Christ, who brings his gospel into these dark areas, and we only want to follow him into those dark areas in people's lives to bring his hope. But we do want to go with him into those areas because people are hurting all around us. And it's time for us to get our heads out of the sand. And I would say to also get our hands and feet out of the sand and to get involved in the lives of people who are all around us in our churches, in our Bible studies, in our youth groups, in our children's ministries who are suffering because of this. Ellen, you've so beautifully spoken to those who are called to come alongside of broken people. Why don't you, as we wrap up our time together, speak to that one person who's listening who is silently suffering, either is Mm. being sexually abused right now or has a past of brokenness that has affected every part of her life, and she's kind of hanging on to life by her fingernails. What encouragement and hope or direction would you give to her and just Mm -hmm. speak to her? I'm so sorry. Um, I mean, I'm I, I, my own heart um, gets broken thinking about what um, you either have experienced or are experiencing. And I don't understand why you're suffering in this way, but I do know the redeemer. I do know Jesus. He sees you. He wants to rescue you out of this. He also wants to rescue you. And I'm thinking, especially if you are someone that this is in your past, you've never You've never wanted to deal with it. You've never wanted to face it. He understands why you would feel that way. But now's the time for you to take a courageous step and to reach out for help. Uh, Sharon mentioned there'll be some resources listed. I've mentioned this organization called Grace. You might look at their website as a starting point. You might go to a place like the CCEF website and look for articles. And I don't mention that as an easy thing, but... That's a first step, but you're going to need to reach out for help to a person, maybe a a spiritual leader in your life, a friend. That person isn't going to be able to give you everything you need, but they can be an initial first place of compassion to help you take a step. And that's what I want to encourage you with. Just one step. I, I know this feels overwhelming to you, and this is going to be a long road of healing, but you can take a step today in the direction of that healing and freedom that is yours in Christ. The enemy has no right to keep you in this place. And I'm just gonna pray right now through Jesus, Lord, that you would help this person take that step of courageous faith. Help them, Jesus, amen. Alan, thank you so much for your tender heart and for your passion for offering help and hope to people in darkness, broken, and yet the hope of the gospel is real. And you are a credible witness of that as you have helped others in this pathway of sexual abuse and uh, helped them to become um, women who understand the grace and their identity in Christ. So thank you so much for that. I'm Sharon Batters and you have been listening to a conversation between Alan Dykus and myself, and we've been talking about sexual abuse in the church. And 
As I said earlier, Ellen is the Women's Ministry Coordinator at Harvest USA, and we are going to have different resources listed on our website that uh, we encourage you to tap into, whether you are uh, someone who wants to come alongside of a broken person or you are that broken person, we are going to be praying for you to take that first step. And those resources will be listed and easily accessible to you. If this conversation or any of our resources from Mark Inc. Ministries have been a help to you, we would love to hear from you. You can go to markinc.org where you can send us a message, but you can also find hundreds of other resources that offer help and hope, especially in some of the darkest, darkest places of life. So please let us know if you have been encouraged by our conversation. And I want to thank you for listening.